everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next, uh, our third episode here. And we are featuring Dave Anderson, who is the founder and managing director of Supply Chain Ventures. Uh, he is out of the East Coast, uh, the greater Boston area. We'll find out where it is physically in a second. Um, really looking forward to talking to him today. And we're going to jump right into it. And welcome, welcome, Dave. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, no, appreciate it. And, um, you know, just as, a, as a, an intro to everybody here, and uh, certainly people can find you on LinkedIn, but uh, as we're kind of showcasing a bunch of uh, uh, supply chain professionals, luminaries and thought leaders in the space, and you are right there in the middle of that, uh, have just a, an amazing career spanning um, 35 plus years, um, really from the founding of the supply chain practice at Accenture to then founding really early your uh, sort of visionary investment vehicle supply chain ventures. Um, I think it would be great just to start off here with a, an introduction to who you are and what you've done and what you've seen over, over the span of your career, uh, you know, what got you in the supply chain and you know, what's kept you there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. Sure. Um, well, uh, don't hold this against me, Richard, but I, I have a PhD in econometrics, and I heavily focused on optimization and, and operations research doing that, which made me always interested in applying these exotic optimization tools you know, to the logistics space. I actually started out predicting freight volumes uh, across transport modes and industries at uh, a company called Data Resources, Inc., one of the early uh, economic forecasting companies, uh, then moved into logistics strategy consulting just as the freight deregulation era was starting, um, that freeing up of logistics assets from regulation in the early 1980s led to um, the need to re-optimize logistics networks across the globe. Uh, and that became the basis for what we did at Accenture, basically redefining global supply chains and IT strategies for Fortune uh, 500 companies. When I retired from Accenture in 2001, the logical next step, at least in my mind, was to continue to innovate in supply chain. And given my Accenture experience, I, I really enjoyed working with young people, mentoring them and helping them be successful. Uh, plus, truthfully, my wife wanted me out of the house after three months of retirement. I barely tired of it badly. And that's when Supply Chain Ventures was born in early 2002. Uh, it was not an out-of-the-blue decision on my part. I'd been working with Accenture Technology Ventures, which was our hmm. uh, venture capital firm for two years before I retired, investing in supply chain startups. But more on that later with some of the later questions. Yeah, for sure. Uh, awesome, uh, Dave. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to double click a little bit on the Accenture uh, founding of that practice. So I think the, as we sort of have talked previous to this, um, you know, the timing of the founding or your founding of the Accenture supply chain practice back in, oh gosh, kind of the, the later 80s, I guess there, uh, early 90s, was really timely. I mean, at that point, supply chain management had just just come into the education practices. We learned from Dan Stanton in our last podcast. Um, you know, what, what, you know, besides the econometrics and your, your background in logistics, you know, what made you or what brought you to an Accenture together 
to ultimately found that supply chain practice that you led for 17 years. And it's interesting, I didn't realize it turned into a little bit of investment at the end, which is a nice segue into supply chain ventures. But you know, what, what brought you to start it in the first place? How did you and Accenture get together to, to, to focus on supply chain? What, what, you know, what did you do over those 17 years? Sure. Um, it was more like 12 years, actually. <laughs> okay. But just to be clear, um, uh, they found me. Um, and it's still amazing to me how what then was Anderson Consulting and now is Accenture uh, were willing to pour resources into developing um, world-class supply chain strategy consulting practice in the early 1990s. You know, as you mentioned, we were just, the era of deregulation was just getting going. And, uh, and what, what the partners at, at, at Anderson Consulting found out was that they were being asked uh, by their clients if, if um, the, you know, Accenture, in that, in that case, Anderson Consulting, had the ability to help them transform uh, their supply chains, uh, both to meet you know, emerging globalization me- needs and also to uh, adapt to ongoing freight deregulation, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., uh, so never one to miss an opportunity. Anderson Consultant proceeded to hire the best and brightest from other supply chain consulting firms. I came in as uh, the global partner who worked to build out our, I'll call it non-U.S. capabilities, although I did build out our capabilities on the U.S. West Coast first, then in Asia, and then finally uh, in the in the last years, in the late 90s, in, in Europe. Uh, and living in San Francisco, Asia, and then London and Paris during the 1990s was really an incredible experience. Uh, I got to work with many different industries and companies trying to adapt their supply chains to global markets and protect their home markets from foreign competitors. We, we ended up in the early 2000s with over 2,000 supply chain-oriented professionals working for Accenture across the globe and a nearly 1 billion in uh, IT and, and strategy consulting work in the, uh, in the supply chain space. And interesting, we formed great uh, relationships and, and uh, friendships during that time. I still work with many former and current Accenture supply chain partners today helping some of them build their own companies, uh, tapping them for board work on some of our companies, and, and using them uh, as consultants when we do diligence in a, in a particular space. We, we're working with one right now, you know, in oil and gas supply chain, something I don't know a lot about, but we have a couple of interesting opportunities there. And, you know, it's, it's easy for me to pick up the phone and, and call the North American head of supply chain consulting and natural resources and and you know get some insights as to what's going on in the client so it was a it was a fantastic experience and and definitely the best uh, the best uh, quote unquote job I ever had in my life well and and, and, and you, again you highlight something that I think is really interesting for people to understand when you look back at the history and you look for some of these trends um, is it safe to say that and, and and this is me naively looking back at the the state of consulting at that time was was Anderson Accenture at that time the first of the I guess big four or five of then um, that actually kicked off a supply chain practice and and if so 
the thought leaders within that group who, and again, I think you and I were even introduced via Carlos Altanera or, you know, former colleague or ex-Accenture, which is how we were connected. So it leads me to kind of the question of, you know, A, was that nucleus of people that sort of formed up Accenture's supply chain practice kind of the thought leaders that you see today that have emerged, right, you know, 30 years later, that nucleus of, of groups and, and kind of a, a pre-question to that was, were, did Accent, was Accenture the first, or Anderson at the time, the first um, consulting firm to see this opportunity for supply chain optimization uh, and consulting practice? And then did the others follow, right? Because I think, I think Accenture or Anderson was really a trailblazer at that time jumping into this area. Is that, is that, is that true? Uh, yes, um, you know, that was the, also the era of, um, uh, of when you had your big accounting firms that had, including Anderson, Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting that, that had both consulting work and, and, you know, tax and audit works together. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, that, that turned out, I won't go into the details. It's not a messy divorce that we ended up with with Arthur Anderson, um, you know, in the late 1990s. Uh, but uh, going back, um, when we first started out in the early 1990s, many of our consulting um, assignments to, would be looked on today as pretty mundane. Uh, you know, we, we did a lot of warehouse design work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did, you know, we did IT uh, systems installs, I2, Magistics, SAP, APO, uh, and simple network optimizations. Uh, but they, you know, compared to the kind of global strategy we ended up doing um, 10 years later, these were, these are just very, very simplistic precursors to the complexity of where supply chain ended up after, after a decade. Um, and, and, you know, the reasons we started out there is most of our consultants we hired were classically trained in these spaces, uh, but they were using technology tools to solve basic supply chain problems. Where should I put my plants? Where should I put my warehouses? How should I design the inside of those warehouses? How should I manage my freight operations, etc.? cetera? Um, but we soon realized that companies had much larger supply chain problems to solve such as best how best to serve global markets, um, multi-channel distribution challenges. You know, people started to say, should we ship from stores? Should we ship from third-party logistics uh, DCs, our own DCs? Should we, how should we work with suppliers? Should they ship direct for us, et cetera? And, and the questions that were being asked uh, were not traditional supply chain questions. We're Historically, people had their own networks inside the four walls. They ran everything in supply chain. And what happened in the 90s, and a lot, I think, due to deregulation, was that, uh, you know, people started to open up these networks and work with more outside suppliers, you know, not just using private fleets and all that. We we ended up sponsoring a lot of major uh, research by Stanford and Northwestern and other institutions to look at best practices in supply chain since we were getting a lot of these questions. And that allowed us to create specific uh, targeted solutions for supply chain industry problems in industries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that included um, global network design and implementation projects, 
world-class supply chain um, IT installs, uh, de developing best practice uh, for transportation, warehousing, IT, supplier management, outsourcing, et cetera, for our clients. And, and it, I think it was the basis of our success uh, you know, with clients and what made us a leader um, is, is that and we were quickly copied. I, I, I would spend many days fending off uh, uh, our other competitors for trying to hire our people, you know, in the mid and late 1990s and uh, that, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to duplicate what we do uh, and what we did at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, there were many others at that point that were trying to cash in on the emergence of, of um, uh, companies trying to use uh, supply chain as a competitive advantage in the global marketplace. You know, the AT Carneys, the Deloitte's, the Coopers, et cetera, uh, you know, IBM, um, you know, we're all, uh, we're all realized that there was significant opportunities in, in that space. And and kind of leading into that, and you sort of touched on it, and that's a great great kind of segue into uh, uh, kind of moving into the investment side of it. So when you first started, and as you were building the practice, it, it feels like at that time supply chain was still viewed very um, almost in the bowels of operations, right? Sort of a necessary evil. But something changed over that time frame where it became more strategic, which I think led then to you know, your, your thesis around investing in supply chain operations, what, what kind of triggered that or in your estimation as you kind of go through those 12 years and certainly culminating in the last two years where you're doing investment at Accenture, what, what, what made the change both in the enterprises that you work with and just in, you know, from around the industry where people started investing in supply chain? Like what, you know, it became a little bit more strategic. It's not nearly as strategic as it is today. And we'll kind of get to that when we get to the current time frame. But like clearly something changed over those 12 years where all of a sudden now enterprises were investing in supply chain or looking to invest in supply chain, not just be an operational kind of you know, element of the business, which I'm assuming then led to what you guys started doing when you looked for investments in supply chain. And, and, and I'm going to ask some questions about what were you investing in at that time versus what you are now. But you know, how, how, how did that, those 12 years, how did, that, how did that supply chain evolution happen? How did it become more strategic? What, what, what tipped the scales? What was it? Well, it, it it was globalization. I think mm. if I if I if you ask me to to name name the one thing, yep. uh, you know that's what we saw. And as I said a few minutes ago, you know that that globalization cuts two ways. On, on one hand, you can you as a company go out and say, oh, I'm going to sell all over the world, and and simultaneously uh, soak in everybody else, especially your competitors in your home markets, and so. Mm. You know, there's this duality that that uh, I think emerged through the through the 90s that uh, um, really made it critical for companies to look at at both sides of the coin when it came to supply chain to, to not only protect what they had but also to ride the wave of of uh, uh, of globalization simultaneously. Hmm. Um, so, um, you know, when I and that sort of led to you know, my thinking about kind of what's next when I retired from Accenture. Uh, and I, you know, I did stay a couple of extra years after mandatory partner retirement age because of the IPO. They asked the senior partners to remain. Um, so it, it, it was, 
it was less less than me being the the, the guy who you know so I'm just leaving Accenture to go out and start my own venture fund. I you know I purposely retired. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know uh, and uh, well it, it was mandatory right yeah. you know, because of the uh, uh, we 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 wanted to make sure that young people had the opportunities to uh, you know to move up the ranks and if you know if you see you see universities and law firms where you have 85 year old professors there and 85 year old lawyers and that's not necessarily the best thing for <laughs> keeping uh, keeping things fresh shall we say and so it was a good idea to do it but you know. I had to decide what I was going to do the rest of my life. Uh, well, I was going to play golf every day, which I did not like, uh, or continue to innovate uh, in the supply chain space. And, you know, as I, as I had said, I would spent the last few years working with Accenture Technology Ventures, which was our venture capital fund. And they wanted me to do supply chain oriented companies. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and what that allowed me to do was also develop a broad network of like-minded investors in the uh, in the private equity and venture capital space. Uh, I thought I was pretty good at early stage investing. You know, during those couple of years, uh, I had some big successes. Uh, one of them was a company called Yantra, uh, which uh, provider of distribution order management and supply chain fulfillment solutions uh, invested. Did, did the first round with them, and then uh, uh, a couple of years later, Sterling bought them for 170 million dollars. So, oh my God! Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the 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 uh, Accenture Technology Venture. Uh, uh, our, uh, let's say I, we put in five million, and we got a lot out. So, <laughs> they uh, it was uh, it was a huge win, and and um, you know I thought, wow, I'm pretty good at this stuff. You know, uh, little did I know how tough getting a niche venture capital firm off the ground would be. Um, you know, I knew there were no venture funds dedicated to supply chain when I founded Supply Chain Ventures in 2002. Um, but I also knew there was another revolution coming in supply chain. And, and that was the you know advent of better supply chain solution technologies, uh, the coming of the robotics age, the move to SaaS from legacy in-house systems. Mm -hmm. And and I look for companies that were um, solving these issues. And those areas became our initial investing thesis. Uh, but I have to say it was a lonely first five to eight years. Um, other VCs were only marginally interested in the space. We didn't have any partners with experience in the supply chain industry. Uh, entrepreneurs were often little known supply chain practitioners in many cases, and they weren't as sexy as a B2C or B2B commerce marketplaces. Uh, you know, I had trouble finding co-investors, and I had to spend a lot of time with the entrepreneurs, kind of making them more like the competition out there, so to speak, you know, other entrepreneurs with much sexier ideas uh, that really attracted the venture capital guys. Uh, we well, was it, was it, sorry to interrupt on that one because I think I think you you, you touch on something that that, that that I key on, which is 
Number one, you you founded Supply Chain Ventures in 2002. So just to put it in context, you know, you had the internet explosion going on in the late 90s and implosion around 2001. So 2002 was kind of at the trough of the economy and the internet kind of had a bubble burst. So not only were you daring to get in and focus on supply chain, but you were daring to get into venture capital in the first place at that time because they just had a huge, huge implosion, uh, probably, you know, just during that year. So, you know, uh, first of all, amazing there. Secondly, is also then, you know, you talk about your win because I don't want to, I don't want to lose that one here at Accenture on the company where you put in five million, it goes for 170 million at that time. With I'm timestamping this sort of in the mid 90s, that would have been kind of the equivalent of your unicorn-like exit um, <clears throat> for any venture capital firm. So you know, you you, you won big there. The question I have about right. that though is. Was it that was early not, 2000s, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, two, even late 90s, that was, still would have been a huge yeah. win by anybody's standards at that time, right? You weren't used to billion-dollar exits like you see today. Um, and I guess the question that I'm honing in on is, you know, did that, did that investment and that win kind of portend the size of the supply chain universe, right? Where, where it, it, it wasn't seen as sexy, but the numbers and the you know, sheer volume of enterprises who engage in supply chain warrant you know these types of returns because they're so big uh, it's such a big market and so overlooked by most people right so you know did that also kind of inspire you to get into this knowing that you know the the, the backbone of any enterprise is the supply chain and the supply chain by the very nature of its existence is probably managing north of 50 or 60 percent of the overall spend of a company it's just most people don't right. see it that way right so, you know, was that, were those numbers also something that kind of drove you into supply chain investment, even as lonely as it may have been? But one, one thing we have to remember from that era was that in the early 2000s, VCs poured huge amounts of money into what they thought were very disruptive uh, investments in supply chain. And these were these B2C, B2B marketplaces that... Mm. There were hundreds of them out there, and anybody, you know, we used to joke that anybody who showed up from Stanford with five slides about a B2B market and janitorial supplies could instantly raise $5 million from some Silicon Valley firm, and it, that's not too far from the truth, uh, to be honest. But what happened was all those crashed. They, they didn't work, and that made it even doubly difficult it for me as a supply chain investor, because people said, oh, supply chain, geez, we, we invested in that. It was a disaster. And they really didn't invest in supply chain. They invested in these crazy marketplaces, uh, which they thought were going to disrupt all supply chain and, and, and make life very different. And, and I, I stuck with my knitting. I, you know, I invested in companies that could create value in I'll call it traditional supply chains just to kind of differentiate it a bit. Uh, and, and I really got lucky in some of my early uh, fund investments, um, Lean Logistics, uh, Kiva Robotics, Lamasoft, Optient, among others, uh, that helped the supply chain get more noticed as a profitable investment in the early 2000s to the broader venture community. I had to retrain a lot of people saying, yeah, I know you lost a lot of money in that janitorial market space uh, that you tried, marketplace you tried to do. But look what I just did. Look at, I, I did Kiva. 
I sold it for seven hundred eighty-five million dollars to Amazon. You know, I pay attention here. Right. Uh, uh, you know, this is there's really a huge. You're, you know, you're right, Richard. There's really a huge um, uh, opportunity, and it is to this day to do um, really, really solid supply chain investments uh, if you understand what problems have to be solved. And those B two C, B two B marketplaces. They weren't solving traditional logistics problems that companies were having. They were trying to replace them, and, mm-hmm. and that you know we're seeing that today as well with virtual brokers. I won't I won't start on my whining about that, uh, but uh, it's it's kind of the same idea. It's like uh, why did you know why did SoftBank put a billion dollars into Flexport, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, we could talk about that on another podcast. Oh, I, I tell you, there's well, there's a lot to go on, but 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 I think where you where you naturally have led me, uh, you know, in questions is now kind of jumping from Accenture, kind of the investment early two thousands to kind of now, you know, charting a course or being a vanguard in, in not only venture right two thousand two, but then focused on supply chain of all things. So right. in those early days versus what you see today. And that's spanning 17 years, you know, at that time. And I do remember my own personal career. I started in, in San Francisco in the late 90s, but in investment banking and private equity and venture capital. And in, in, in your right. right, it was just a crazy, crazy time. You can't even, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going through the 60s in some sense, right? You, unless you lived it and saw it, you can't really explain to people what right. it was like. Um, it was so different. But that said, when you were, um, you know, if you contrast kind of, you know, supply chain's always been big. Supply chain has always, but always been kind of left in in the background. You you had this first wave of of B two B, which at that time was just irrational exuberance. But I don't think most people realized that you know adoption in the enterprise is is naturally always going to be slower. You know than consumers. I don't I think I don't think people understood it at the time. So it wasn't, in my opinion, necessarily that they were wrong. It was just the wrong timing. So right. with that said. When you look at you know kind of what you've seen now investing in supply chain, can you walk through kind of you know how you've seen the world change? Because I mean, it is a different world today versus when you started being a supply chain investor, right? I mean, what 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 is different? How has that changed? What 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 are I mean? I'm imagining now, just like myself, people are calling you versus back then you had to be calling people to find out, <laughs> to, like you said, kind of uh, uh, you know evangelize the investment in supply chain. So what's what what's really gone on over the last 17 years? Right. Well, you know, the the biggest change has been the emergence of supply chain as a true competitive advantage for, for companies. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like to throw, you know, all the mantle of, uh, of change on Amazon, but that's really, really been, uh, they've been certainly one of the poster children for this revolution that's taken place. I'm not the only one, you know, but clearly the focus on e-commerce and disrupting the uh, so many retailing and manufacturing industries um, is is clearly the uh, is clearly a major factor here, and and two things I mentioned earlier as well the globalization of markets mm-hmm. and of sourcing have been another uh, key set of trends uh, forcing companies to look beyond their borders for new sources of product as well as new consumers to uh, fuel that growth. Uh, as a result, supply chain professionals, which historically had to worry about, you know, is my DC running okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now we have to figure out how to source something, source stuff from China or move product to India. 
or produce product in India. And it's it's become um, a uh, a world where um, those professionals have to upgrade their skills. They have to become revenue drivers, just not cost oriented guys. They need to be comfortable dealing with the C-suite mm-hmm. um, and really develop broad relationships beyond their four walls with suppliers, 3PLs, and, and other providers. You know, and that's pushed us all into this, um, you know, what people call the omni-channel uh, era, mm-hmm. uh, where we're living with a consumer that, um, you know, what they want as fast as possible uh, and as easy as possible has become the new supply chain mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see this trend stopping. Uh, I see it, if anything, accelerating mm-hmm. and it making uh, supply chain transformations as we knew them, you know, in the 1990s is something that were was basically episodic. You might look at at um, at doing something every few years with your supply chain, uh, but now. I've met companies that are rejiggering their supply chains on a daily basis. And I think that's the, that's what we're going to see in the future, that you have to have that flexibility mm-hmm. uh, to meet those, you know, continually evolving consumer needs. That, it's not going to go away. And, and, and kind of building on that, and, and again, contrasting from what you saw early on, um, and I, I have a, 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 a sort of an opinion on this one too, is that, you know, at the early stages when B2C and B2B were, in, or I'm sorry, when the internet was first exploding, late 90s, early 2000s, all these business models, well, first of all, business models were kind of crazy anyways, but but that aside, B2B and B2C were kind of dumped into the same bucket, kind of like you intimated earlier, right? Where mm-hmm. people weren't contrasting what it meant to be a marketplace or even what a marketplace meant for a true B2B environment. They try to pattern it after more consumer behavior, which was the winning formula at the time. So people who invested in B2B or supply chain, whatever at that time, kind of they lost their shirts. Um, but now we see a resurgence, and you in particular see a resurgence, especially in your investments, because I imagine you're putting more money to play, and I'll come to that in a second, you know, in the supply chain arena. But what's different now about how people are approaching supply chain uh, innovation or technologies or things that you're seeing? I mean, when the when you were first were investing, I imagine it was, you know, kind of again, I'm assuming here maybe few and far between. But now, fast forward today, 2019 and beyond, there are many more supply chain oriented uh, innovations starting to happen. People have woken up to what's happening. Can you kind of contrast for me? Or you know the audience here, you know what what what's different? What 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 have people figured out now that they didn't know back then in the early two thousands to make a supply chain startup or innovation work? How are they addressing it differently? How are they thinking differently? Well, I, um, you know you have um, you have a world where uh, even a few years ago there wasn't a a a bunch of innovators in supply chain coming forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early, our earliest companies were basically founded by practitioners. You know, Dan Dersham, my partner at Lean Logistics, uh, Mick Mounts, who came out of Webvan and figured mm-hmm. out that that, that that huge system that he developed uh, for Lewis Borders uh, uh, that didn't really work in the end could could be radically simplified by 
digging the pit to the picker. Uh, and, and those were my, my early, uh, our early investments were, were, were in innovative practitioners that, that really understood the space really well. What's happened over time, and, and, and we, honestly, we see 300 supply chain startups a year. I, I don't do diligence on all of them when we only invest in three or four. But what's changed is, um, in, we sort of have a 50-50 mix now of, of the traditional practitioner who's, you know, worked in freight forwarding and come up with a new way of doing, figuring out how to do commodity classification using AI, um, and, uh, people that, uh, don't have a huge amount of experience in the space. Uh, but have new tool sets that could be machine learning, AI optimization tools um, that you know they're trying to bring to bear on on the uh, on these issues, and and that really kind of defines our portfolio at the moment. It's probably half traditional practitioner with deep industry knowledge, and and the other half being uh, I'll call them newbies, uh, which have uh, really radical new tools in many cases that can be used uh, to really improve supply chain planning or forecasting, you know, companies that use uh, real-time data for weather and, and traffic in their uh, local delivery optimization tools, for example, mm-hmm. would be a good example of, of, of that. Thank you, MIT, for t- <laughs> focusing right. on that as a big area. Um, and so it's it's become a uh, it's become a space where uh, you know you you don't know what's going to walk in the door mm. in any day you know and and you know we we have we have a a very open mind uh, uh, as we look at stuff you know as I say historically we'd only look at companies that someone really knew about transportation I want to talk you know and is founding a new company that's that's who I wanted to, as a a typical uh, founder, but mm-hmm. today uh, it could be just, uh, and a lot of them are just some guy out of uh, MIT with a master's or a PhD uh, that um, you know is able to apply new tools to to the, the old traditional spaces and, and come out with much better solutions that save even more money and improve service even more than the traditional ones. And, and do you think, and, and again, such an interesting point. So, you know, you're, you're reviewing you know, 300 and 350, whatever, you know, plus kind of business plans per year. I'm assuming 17 years ago when you started, it was 10 you know, or whatever, 50, you know, something small. <laughs> I was lucky. <laughs> right. right. Okay. So, so there, that onto itself kind of, you know, uh, uh, illustrates <clears throat> the amount yeah. of volume from an investment, just, just, you know, a, a 30 X kind of jump over 17 years, which is significant. But I think it's also, you touch on something here where it's 50, 50 between, you know, traditional practitioners and kind of now you're calling them innovators or people who aren't 20 year plus veterans uh, coming in and looking at the space differently, just smart people looking at, which is actually kind of, I think a proxy for larger technology innovation, you know, onto itself, right? People from all walks of life looking at problems and thinking about them differently and not having legacy uh, constraints, legacy thinking constraints. Um, I don't want to say holding them back, but preventing them from thinking differently. So where I'm leading here is 
how do you feel that sort of uh, portends for the makeup of the supply chain professionals of the future, right? Are, are, how, do you, how do you see the blending of those two? Because it's almost like you got to kind of find a, a happy marriage between the two, right? Because you can't come in completely, you know, not knowing anything about supply chain, although you can, um, you know, and, 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 and expect to have impact. But at the same time, too, you can't be a 20-year practitioner thinking you're going to think differently without, you know, merging with somebody who's, who, who doesn't think, you know, with 20 years of legacy thinking. How, how, do you, how do you see that kind of pretending for the supply chain DNA and what you see in the organization and the professionals and the leadership over the next five to 10 years? Right. Well, it's a, you know, what we, what we have today is still a lot of traditional practitioners out there that have not been trained in advanced optimization, you know, robotics, uh, exotic forecasting and, and, you know, uh, supply planning tools, uh, et cetera, uh, which is led to it, it well it hasn't led to it 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 means that the the time spent uh selling doing what's called enterprise sales selling to big companies that probably have uh you know SAP plus I2 you know plus four other legacy uh systems in there um uh is is tough because in on one hand you've got a huge investment in those systems and your CFOs, you know, whether it's an IT system or a warehouse system and your CFO is reminding you, you know, we spent millions of dollars on that stuff. And, you know, you're telling me we're, <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going to bring in a whole new set of technology. And, and that, that's the big difference. What's happened is that the new tool sets that I look at sit on top of these systems. They don't, they don't try to replace systems of record. You know, I, I don't want to replace uh, I2 or Manugistics or APO that sits underneath and, and you know, manages all that flow of data, you know, into the CFO's office so that they're able to figure out how much inventory they have, how much is spending on freight, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we know, um, many of those tools are, 20 years plus old and right. they, they don't reflect current reality of, uh, of what's going on in, in, uh, in the world. And what I mean, just one example of that is the idea of, of uh, the emergence of real-time data, weather and traffic and driver behavior and, and customer behavior and thinking that you're going to optimize a local delivery route just by looking at cost and service today is like, that's almost a joke mm-hmm. because you know what happens on rainy Thursdays with Johnny's delivery route? Well, we know by looking with machine learning that Johnny never does his eight drops that day. He can't because of weather and traffic and we shouldn't be scheduling for eight or we should be starting them earlier. Or if that won't work for the customer, we probably should just do six that day and then not irritate the customer uh, by, you know, by missing those deliveries. And so uh, those tools don't replace an I2 or a manugistics. They sit on top of the technology and do it better. And then stuff the data via API, you know, back into the systems of record, and and uh, and and so be it. Um, and and that that I think is the is the is where the that's going to stay that way for you know quite a while. We don't see any 
anybody trying to start an I do? Well, I do every mm-hmm. once in a while, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and or a manugistics. I, you know, you just don't, right? There's just there's a couple ones that are trying it and they're not being super successful. You know, what I look for in founders is I don't want to replace all that stuff. I want I want you to solve specific problems that we know exist in logistics and sit on top of all that underlying technology and provide better solutions. And that's kind of a hard thing for for many uh, many logistics professionals to understand. You know, they you know they're so used to you know just working with the basics here. And as I said earlier, rarely are they trained in the in the world of AI and real time data and robotics and what have you. So you've got a often a huge education process to say, well, here's why we're here's why this is better. You know, here's why it's better to use robots, you know, in a warehouse rather than have somebody running around with a cart picking orders. <laughs> uh and and uh that's that's a tough uh, that's a tough sell. So that's still a big challenge that I have, even with my portfolio companies today, uh, is to is to uh, get get over that hurdle between, you know, that traditional training and the um, you know and the reality of the tools that are available now in those organizations, meaning in the in the companies that are buying the tools, there are young people that are getting that training now. You know, are they at the decision maker level yet? Probably not, mm-hmm. you know. So at best, they're probably an influencer. They, they're whispering in their senior vice president's ear, "Hey, I think these robotics guys, you know, I think uh, you know whether it's Six River or or uh, Locus, you know, they, they those that those robots could be really interesting in our warehouses." Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, so you, so no one, no one. No one wants them. <laughs> yeah, well, which, which is the crazy part, and and I think that's that, yeah, except that Bezos. He already figured that out. He's got over. Uh, he's got. He's got he, he was he was push, he was pushing drones before people even knew what drones were. I mean, the guys, <laughs> the guys on the forefront of everything. He's unbelievable. Yeah. But I think again, you touched on a really interesting point, which is, um, and in what you're seeing in investments today, and, and I'm going to kind of look forward a little bit is, you know, you talk a lot about logistics. Um, and you know, in, I don't know if you know when you're doing that, you know, and also I think it portends to how people also look at supply chain, right? Traditionally, it's a logistics organization and an operational organization, even a procurement organization, but there's so much more to it now. So, you know, it seems to me, and just having been at the CSC, um, uh, uh, Council of Supply Chain Management Professional uh, Conference in Anaheim a couple months ago, logistics was all the rage, right? As far as what people are investing in. And this is where you get into your brokerage platforms. You already mentioned it. You got your flex ports, your U-ships and whatever that are out there. That's all kind of the trendy thing right now. But there's so much more to supply chain, right? Um, There's so much more beyond just procurement and logistics. There's the actual, you know, asset management pieces. There are the disposition pieces. There's the kind of just, you know, what you talked about, the integration and visibility into the broader organization of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, so, you know, what, what currently are sort of the hot things you see as in, in, from an investor's point of view in the supply chain? And then, you know, what do you see coming up in the next three to five years? What's sort of the, the new, new thing that's coming in? Right, right. Well, um, you know, thematically, um, my partner and I have um, about five or six uh, investing theses right now. I'll, I'll do them quickly here. Um, 
One is uh, embedding or native uh, AI ML capabilities in planning software. What okay. I mentioned earlier about you know using real time data to better do better uh, doing optimization. Um, uh, so that's that's one one big space. Uh, and also, uh, you know, we found out early that uh, you know. They, people weren't creating real-time data, you know, beyond weather and traffic that were useful to supply chain. And so we, we've made some investments, you know, in companies that are working uh, with what's called a declared data space, which is data coming out of uh, corporate um, loyalty systems that have really interesting inputs into uh uh, forecasting and and advanced planning system solutions. You know what? What if we could? What if we could uh, see uh, clearly that those pink Nikes are selling a lot better in Phoenix than they are in in uh, in in Washington D.C. For example, via uh, media. You know, uh, via platform data for you know Facebook, Twitter, kind of stuff. And use that information to, you know, rejigger the forecast and not start, keep shipping pinks <laughs> shoes to to DC. Um, and I, I mentioned this earlier as well. Another another areas is uh, applications that reside on legacy supply chain platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, you know, you're you're we, we're looking at a company today that's. Uh, uh, uses legacy system data to identify potential supply chain bottlenecks and planning issues that traditional I2 manuogistics APO uh, systems can't do. They don't do, and and, and so that's good uh, in another another space. Um, the whole e-commerce omni-channel returns management tools, uh, we're we're very active in that space. Uh, Supply chain visibility, we like, um, uh, and we we were investors in a company called MacroPoint, which one of our other investments, Descartes bought. Thank you, <laughs> but we still think visibility is a major uh, a major area. Uh, although we don't we don't really believe in it as a standalone product. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and finally, sustainability. Um, I, I'm really uh, I'm really hot on on um, uh, platforms that. That you know create uh, sustainable management platforms for 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 companies uh, with many suppliers to both reduce risk and and provide visibility into you know where that where that chocolate where those diamonds uh, you know uh, uh, are coming from you know where those uh, are those uh, are those uh, blouses you're buying from Asia coming from slave labor operations or, mm-hmm. or what have you here. And so, um, you know, I think if you look across all those, uh, it's digitization that's yep. the underlying theme for our, for our mission. And you know, we speak with logistics professionals daily as part of our due diligence process to take the pulse of what's bothering them and what solutions they need to be successful in the future. And and these are the kind of things they're looking for today. You know, that they they can't get. In you know I two or manuogistics, no offense, I, right. I love those systems. I put a lot of them in, yep. uh, you know. But they're at at this point in time, um, there's no reason to take them out. 
either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and let's, just, let's just develop tool sets that, that can sit on top of them and solve a lot of those problems and, and you know, feed the relevant data back in to make the CFO happy. And, and um, you know, we're, uh, uh, I think we're, we're looking at a new world here. But, so those are kind of our short-term investment strategies, you know, over the next three to five years. And you notice I didn't have things like uh, uh, blockchain and IoT right. and and uh, and autonomous transportation. And uh, you know, do I believe in those? Yeah, but I don't think they're they're you know within the next three to five years. Not quite fully. And I'm an early yet. stage guy. I'm yeah, an early right. Stage guy. <laughs> right, right. I think you and I share share. I mean, I know I've, I've had a lot of conversations. I'm a huge fan of blockchain. I think blockchain is, you know, a technology that's going to be around for, for decades, but it's still very early and people are trying to force it into certain solutions. It's just not ready for it. It's not fully baked, but um, completely agreed. So I want to be mindful of time. We're, we're, we're kind of kind of up toward, towards the tail end here. So just again, kind of looking forward a little bit, you know, how do you see the supply chain organization or supply chain just industry, even from your investment point of view, or just practitioner point of view, or just, you know, historical point of view, how do you see that, you know, going over the next 10 years? I mean, I, 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 I have a bias here because I think there's an enormous amount of opportunity. I think supply chain is the new, new thing, quite frankly. Um, but you know, what do you see happening over the next 10 years, you know, for supply chain uh, just across? I mean, it, it seems like it's really changed quite a bit. And I think, you know, you've been at it for a while. I mean, what, what, what do you feel in talking to not only these startups, but also the heavyweight practitioners themselves? Like how, how are their attitudes changing? How are the organizations, how are the companies, how are the C-suites changing about supply chain and thinking about it for the next five sure, years? Sure. Yeah. Let me, let me reiterate a couple of things I, I said earlier here briefly. Uh, you know, omni-channel um, supply chain strategies are really driving um, a lot of what's going on and, you know, our ability to, understand you know how instead of serving having one or two uh strategies in your supply chain i'm going to sell via distributors or i'm going to sell direct mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is not a uh you know direct uh, store is 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 not uh, obviously we know that's not going to cut it going forward and so um you know the problem there is that the the, the systems rely rely on old data the the you know the legacy systems at three month old data in many cases to do forecasting and all and that's become the big driver is that where where can we get more real-time data sources put them in a, a set of tools that will allow us to uh, look more carefully at uh, what's really going on you know in real time in supply chains you know whether it's Consumer behavior, traffic, whether the stuff we talked about earlier, uh, and and uh, figure out how to better use AI tools to massage both the old and the real time data to get those new insights to do decision making in this process, uh, and to have those tools, as I said, sit on top of the legacy systems mm-hmm. and uh, not replace the existing systems of record. Uh, is is we think is is going to continue now someone may come out and you know say well we're going to produce the next i2 and i you know i'll I'll applaud that if you you want to take that on but Mm -hmm. no one today wants to spend 18 to two years 18 months to two years 
putting in a new supply chain system right. and those that have uh, you know have sincere regrets about it so yep. uh, you know i think we're going to see most most of our stuff's going to sit on top uh, of the systems use the better data sources uh, make better decisions and then feed the uh, you know the required system or record data back into the uh, uh, the legacy operations. Gotcha, gotcha. And 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 how about just for yourself? I mean, you're 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 also. I mean, what's what's sort of on the on the horizon for you? I mean, you've 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 been at this for a while. You're seeing all sorts of cool stuff. Are you, you know, are, do you see yourself engaged more? I mean, I imagine imagine at this point, it's almost like after 35 years of kind of going after the supply chain stuff. There's some validation. Um, and you're a pretty humble guy anyways, but some validation around kind of what you've been working at for a long time, people probably coming to you versus you going to them now, you know, does that, you know, give you that spark to keep going with stuff? I mean, what's, what's, what's on the horizon for you? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, uh as, as things change, the more they change, the more they don't. Uh, and it's been actually, it's, it's, it's over 50 years. Uh, you know, I've been involved with supply chain since the, since the early 1970s, so you know, 35 years in consulting, and and now the last 17 in uh, in in the venture side of, of supply chain, and you know, a lot hasn't changed. The conservative views of supply chain practitioners, for example, and I, I'm just focusing on the decision makers who write the checks to buy stuff from my companies, not the you know brilliant brilliant young guys coming out of Michigan State, Ohio State, and and, and Penn who are in those companies, you know, trying to make change from the bottom, uh, that we still face uh, tremendous resistance to that. Uh, uh, and and so on, you know, on one hand, that that has has not changed. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan and Dave, my partner Dan and I are are, are um you know we're 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 in for the for the longer run here, which is kind of silly because I'm 75 years old. You said yourself, my God, what are you doing? And you know we have both early and late stage investments. Uh, we run two funds basically: an early stage fund and a late stage fund that would mm -hmm. do very large investments. Um, um, we're likely going to be adding a growth fund next year, which would allow us to do. Five to ten million dollar Series A and B rounds for some of our early stage companies, uh, which would <laughs> would would take uh, you know those funds have seven to ten year lifespans and it would mm -hmm. take Dan to sixty and me to eighty five years old. So uh, we both have said to ourselves, we'll decide on our next adventure around twenty twenty five or so. Right. But for the moment, we're sticking with supply chain. It's still we still have a hell of a lot of fun every day. And and uh, I just enjoy meeting young people with, with great ideas and and uh, wanting to change the world. So it's um, it's uh, uh, I, 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 I'm not going to do anything different. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, I, I, I just first of all, I want to thank you for for jumping on today. It's it's been just a really wonderful conversation. Your insights are are, are just you know invaluable in the sense of you know what you've done, how you've been a part of it. Again, this small group of people that span these last 30, 40 years, you know, you've been in the middle of, you know, moving from Accenture into another venture community and 
Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a really fun conversation. So, um, you know, thank you so much for participating. Um, and, and we'll look forward to kind of running into you here out in the industry because I know it's getting a lot more popularized. We're seeing, yeah, every, there's a small group of people that seem to be showing up at all the same conferences and all the same investor areas. So uh, you know, we'll be running into each other, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Richard. <laughs>